Thank you. The meeting will come to order. Welcome, welcome everyone. Good morning. This is the Thursday, June 5th, 2014 meeting of the Neighborhood Services and Safety Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Um, my name is Eric Marr. I'm the chair of the committee. We're joined by Supervisor Norman Yee and our chairperson, David Campos, um, is out today. And our clerk is Mr. Derek Evans. And I guess before we start, Mr. Evans, can I just ask if we could excuse uh, Chair Campos from this meeting? Can we do that without objection? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Evans, do we have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of documents to be included in the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the June 17, 2014 Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Thank you. Um, please call item number one. Item number one is a hearing to consider the transfer of a Type 48 on-sale general public premises license for the expansion of premises located at 246 Kearney Street in District 3 to Brian Shahey for Future Beverages Inc. doing business as Rick House. Thank you. And I believe we have a report from, from staff. Is that right? And this is not a traditional transfer of a liquor license. It's the expansion of an existing um, premises, um, which is a bar on Kearney Street, and um, a request for an approval. Do we have a staff presentation? We, we have the police department here and the applicant, Mr. Shahi. Okay. So maybe I should, before the police department comes up, um, welcome Mr. Shahi and ask if he'd like to make a few remarks. Good morning, supervisors, clerk of the board. Yes, Rick House has been in existence on Kearney Street since 2007. The actual property where the bar is located is a eight-story hotel. It began a renovation project two years ago, which resulted in us losing about 40% of the square footage of the bar. In exchange for that square footage, we were offered basement space and space at the rear of the existing bar by the landlord. That space has been renovated, and it is the same license. Uh, the size of the bar is increasing by about 30%, and this is required. It's required by the ABC that we go through this formal process to expand the license because of the additional square footage. But all conditions and all aspects of the bar continue as is. Thank you. Um, I, I'm one of your customers, and I love the, the bar and amazing drinks. Can I just ask, so there's the main bar area, and then there's the speakeasy-type place in the back with the barrels, I think. Is the new expanded space that space, or is it a different space? The new expanded space is below that space and to the rear of that space. Okay. And I know there's an area where you can walk up a narrow flight of stairs to another area, but it's, um, so it's almost like a three-level bar in the back, it sounds like. Yes, it will be. Okay, great. Um, thank you, Mr. Sheehy, You're for welcome. being here. Thank you. And we have a report from the, um, the police now. Good morning, Supervisor Mars, Supervisor Yi, Officer Al Duarte with the San Francisco Police Department's ABC Liaison Unit. Uh, yes, very simply, uh, Mr. Shi, he has applied for a transfer in technicality. It has to be that because ABC requires him to do that. However, it's just a very simple expansion. I did visit the location. It, like he described, it's towards the rear and below the main floor area. It's a um, little bit uh, larger, rather close to about maybe five or 600 square feet. I may be off by 100 or so. But uh, simply said, it's just a simple expansion. And um, 
let me just go through the stats here and what we found when we ran the report. Uh, plain and simply, the police calls for service from February 2013 to 2014 with zero police calls for that location and zero police reports as well. The plot itself is located on 160 and as defined with the 2013 um, high crime calls, anything over 99 calls is a high crime area. The plot had 178 police report, reported calls for that location. It is located in a high crime area. The state census tract information is as follows. The premises located on census tract 117 and a population tract is 1,783. The on-sale license is not right for the census tract is six. However, there are 106 active. But once again, we're not adding a license to that location. We're just simply uh, expanding a current location. Uh, there were zero letters of protest recorded and zero letters of support recorded. The ALU recommends approval. There are statutes that uh, Mr. Uh, Sheehy has adhered to in the past with this current license, and we've never had any problems or had that license be brought in any kind of disciplinary action. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Duarte, Officer Duarte. If there are no questions, let's open this up for the public. Is there anyone from the public that would like to speak? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And I just wanted to thank um, Mr. Sheehy for being here, um, Brian Sheehy for um, running Rick House, and the, the new trend of bars that are um, that are really interesting and speakeasy history type places. I think local edition and others are really amazing too, but Rick House is a great place that is very popular, so I could see how the expansion would really benefit many people from the neighborhood as well. Um, Supervisor Yee, can we um, get a motion on approval of this? Sure. So it's been moved. And can we do that without objection? Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mr. Evans, please call the next item. Item number two is a hearing on the implementation of Civil Service Rule 115 for the employment of disabled individuals for the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you. And this is a hearing that I've called along with um, organizations led by people with disabilities and um, the current day um, movement for civil rights and equal opportunities for people with disabilities in it, and this is focused on employment. And I just wanted to thank the community-based groups that are here today. We'll have a number of speakers from our local and state um, departments, but also from community advocates and community-based organizations. And um, the, the hearing is specifically on what we call Civil Service Rule 115, but I think more broadly, it's about um, understanding and acknowledging the history of the movement of the 1980s of people with disabilities for equal opportunity in employment and breaking down discriminatory barriers and barriers that were preventing people from having an equal and fair chance at employment opportunities in, in the city. And also, I think it's also a fight and a movement for dignity and um, e not only equal opportunity but equity in how city um, looks at um, disadvantaged um, groups of people as well. So Rule 115, as we'll hear from the Department of Human Resources and our Mayor's Office on Disability, is one of many tools we use <clears throat> in the city to allow equal opportunity and to promote um, 
employment opportunities for people with disabilities and other disadvantaged groups. I wanted to also say that it's not only about um, hiring, it's also about recruitment and hiring, supporting people while employed and retaining them to be successful in their jobs as well. I wanted to acknowledge that we'll be hearing from our Department of Human Resources, the Deputy Director, uh, Linda Simon, but I wanted to acknowledge that Donna Kotaki is here as well as Mickey Callahan as well. Um, also, we'll hear from Carla Johnson, the Director of the Mayor's Office of Disability. Um, also from the Civil Service Commission, Jennifer Johnson, the Executive Director. And then followed by our California Department of Rehabilitation, which makes determinations on whether somebody is severely disabled or not. Um, and that's Ayn Casey, who's the employment coordinator with the California Department of Rehabilitation. From the community side, and I'll just say that the movement to advance equal opportunity and equity for people with disabilities in employment has been led by many different organizations and individuals. But today, we'll have uh, representatives from the FDR Democratic Club, Jonathan Lyons, the president, also from the Lighthouse for the Blind, Kate Williams and Julie McCarthy, from the ARC of San Francisco, Terry Goodwin, who's the Director of Partnerships and Business Development, um, from San Francisco's Independent Living Resource Center, Jesse Lorenz, and we'll also have different examples of employers like the California Academy of Sciences with a great model um, employer for hiring and giving equal opportunity for people with disabilities um, as well. So with that, if there are no questions from Supervisor Yee, I'd like to open it up first with our Department of Human Resources with Leslie Simon, the De Deputy Director. Overhead, turned on please, control. It's pretty high. I'm a little uh, challenged by height here, so I'm going to bring this down a little bit. Thank you very much, Supervisor Marr and Supervisor Yee. My name is Linda Simon, and I am the Deputy Director at the Department of Human Resources for Equal Employment Opportunity and Leave Programs. And I welcome the opportunity to present to you before today on rules, Civil Service Rule 115, but more importantly on the city's commitment to equal employment opportunity as it relates to employees and applicants with disabilities. <clears throat> Is the overhead on? So what I have on the overhead <clears throat> is basically bullet points of my presentation. And I'd like to start off and say, by saying that while this discussion today does revolve around Rule 115, I'd like for us to understand the city's efforts in reaching out to our community of disabled uh, applicants and employees. There are many different avenues by which we employ individuals with disabilities. For example, one of the avenues is that our online job application system is ADA compliant. We also, at the Department of Human Resources, in our lobby have computers that are ADA compliant. And every one of our job announcements on the DHR website also stipulates that if an applicant requires accommodation, whom to contact for that accommodation. And we do routinely provide those accommodations for our applicants. In addition to that, all of our uh, announcements also provide contact information regarding TTY access. 
And in addition to that, we also have Donna Kataki, whom you have identified, as leading our effort to work with our CBOs in our community. Particularly, we've been very uh, happy to be working with Kate Williams for Lighthouse for the Blind in reaching out to those CBOs and advising them of positions that are available that are listed on our website and also asking our CBOs that if they have clients that meet any of the minimum qualifications for those positions, please send us their resumes and then we can reach out to those departments and have them identify those positions as Rule 115 so that those candidates can be considered. So we do have right now a process for reach out with our CBOs and reaching out with our hiring managers to designate positions as Rule 115. In addition to that, we also attend fairs that are specific to our disabled community. Our last fair that we attended was on April the 13th of 2014, and that was a fair that was sponsored by the San Francisco Mayor's Committee for Employment of Persons with Disabilities. It is not affiliated. I want to clarify it is not actually affiliated with the mayor's office. It's a nonprofit that simply designates itself as with that title. But at that fair, there were over 200 uh, individuals who attended that fair and some who submitted applications with us. In addition to that, we're also committed not only to attracting and hiring new employees who have disabilities, but we're also very committed to retaining our employees that do develop disabilities, either an industrial injury or outside of work develop some type of disability. And one process that we have for that is our reasonable accommodation process. So if one of our employees does uh, develop a disability, then we will work with that employee and their medical restrictions. We will review what their medical restrictions are, and we will try to locate another job that's in compliance with their medical restrictions within their own department. If that is not possible, then they are sent to a citywide search. So we actually look in all of our city departments, our 60 city departments, to try to find a position for that employee so that they can continue their city employment. So this is for the retention of our disabled employees. In addition to that, we do have reasonable accommodation coordinators in every city department so that employees who have a disability can go to those coordinators and request accommodations. And also uh, any types of systems that they may need, such as drag and speak or anything else that might assist them, again, to retain their position. In addition to that, I'd like to mention that the city and county of San Francisco, because of our efforts in this area, was recently recognized by the Department of Rehabilitation as being the uh, employer of the, with the Employer of the Year Award. So I think this speaks volumes as to what the city has been doing in reaching out to applicants and also to retaining uh, employees with disabilities. But today's hearing is about Rule 115. So I'd like to provide a little bit of history regarding Rule 115. So in 1985, there was a ballot measure, and that was called Proposition A, and it was to amend the city charter so that qualified individuals with disabilities could enter the city workforce outside of the competitive merit process. The goals of Proposition A were to provide increased employment opportunities for qualified individuals with disabilities. Two, to allow departments to fill vacant positions with qualified individuals. And three, to increase the diversity of the city. I'm now turning the page on the overhead, 
and I'm continuing with the bullet points of my presentation. So uh, Proposition A was approved by the voters and the charter was amended and a new civil service rule was implemented. Whoops, I think that's, those are my notes. But um, anyway, was implemented and that was uh, civil service rule 34. Uh, that be later became civil service rule 115, which is what we're speaking about today. And civil service rule, the title of it is rules related to the employment of persons with disabilities. So what are the requirements of civil service rule 115? It allows for qualified disabled applicants to be appointed to permanent exempt positions into entry-level classifications. And it's important that I um, stipulate right here that when we say entry-level positions, that does not mean that these are you know, going to be clerk positions only, for example, or secretarial positions or positions such as that. We actually are referring to the first level of a position in a classification. So for example, in my division, Equal Employment Opportunity, we hired an attorney through Rule 115. So these are, it can be an engineer, it can be an attorney. At the highest levels, we can appoint individuals through Rule 115. And so uh, also, those individuals serve a one-year probationary period as a permanent exempt employee. They are evaluated every three months, and at the end of a year of successful performance, they are converted to permanent civil service status. So that, those are the criteria for Rule 115. So how successful has the city been with Rule 115 and implementing Rule 115? I'm happy to say that we've appointed over 244 employees to positions within the city utilizing Rule 115. Of course, we believe that more can be done, and so we welcome the opportunity to meet with our CBOs so that they can advise us as to whether there are any barriers uh, that are keeping uh, their clients from applying or being selected by the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, we also believe that uh, with working with them and also we're hoping to have a recruiter in our budget that is in our budget and if the Board of Supervisors approves our budget and approves that position, then we can do more in reaching out to our CBOs. We can do more in facilitating the communication between the CBOs and our hiring managers in the departments. We can do more as far as attending job fairs and making this a more productive and successful program. I would also like to recognize the Department of Public Health, who's been very instrumental and successful in appointing individuals through Rule 115. Most of our city departments have utilized the rule. Uh, the other thing that we're going to be doing in order to continue improving our processes is we have spoken with Carla with the Mayor's Office of Disability, and she's going to be attending our HR professionals meeting. This happens once a month, and we invite our human resources professionals from all of our city departments to attend that meeting. So these are the individuals who are critical to the hiring of employees within our departments. And so Carla's uh, kindly agreed to come and speak to them and to discuss uh, employment, how to employ uh, persons with disabilities, what we need to do to affect that more successfully. In addition to that, 
We are also going to revitalize what we had before in 2010, which was an advisory panel, and the advisory panel was composed of CBOs from the community, disabled community. It also included Mickey Callahan, the Director of Human Resources, Donna Kataki, Workforce Development Director, and myself and others, and also um, Jennifer Johnston, who's now the Executive Director of the Civil Service Commission. So we want to revitalize that task force again, work with our community partners to find out what we can do to continue to be successful in the area of recruitment and retention of our disabled employees. Uh, the one thing that I would like to bring up, though, that the city and county cannot do, and that is to have carve-outs of positions for the disabled community. This has been one of the items that was brought up before by the task force, and we have been advised by our city attorney that that would be a discriminatory process because we would be limiting positions to only one type of employee. Uh, and we would not be able to, uh, you know, appoint anybody else to those positions. So that would be discriminatory towards everybody else. In addition to that, another request was that we also identify hiring goals. <clears throat> and again, we don't believe that we have um, the authority. We also don't believe that it would be legal to establish a hiring goal. Uh, we all know that we have Proposition 209, and Proposition 209 does speak to any type of hiring goals or quotas, et cetera. And someone may bring up the fact that the federal government recently passed legislation uh, with a hiring goal of 7%, but it's interesting to note that that hiring goal is specific to contractors. It is not to the federal government. And I wonder, I'm not sure, but I wonder if the reason for that is because it would be deemed discriminatory by employees. All right? And then the other item that I'd like to say is we cannot survey our employees or our applicants regarding a disability. Again, under advice of our city attorney, that's an invasion of privacy. And even if we were to stipulate that it was voluntary, the question would still come up, who is going to have access to that data? Because someone has to have access to the data if you collect it. And so there could be a presumption then later on in litigation that that information was used in a non-selection process and increased the liability to the city. So we don't want to conduct a survey of our applicants or employees regarding do you have a disability. And in fact, some of our employees uh, who are disabled were not hired through Rule 115 and don't identify themselves as being disabled. So, you know, the data is only as good as what's given to you, and we don't believe that everyone would identify uh, who is disabled. And as we know, under the ADAAA, uh, most of us have some type of disability. So thank you very much for giving us this opportunity, and we look forward to working with our partners. So let me just ask if there are any questions. Um, Supervisor Yee, and we're joined by our president, David Chu, as well. Supervisor Yee. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Marr. Um, Thank you, Linda, for um, the presentation. Uh, a quick question. Of the 244 employees um, that were appointed, Yes. Um, what period, at length of time, was that, did that happen? So the majority of those employees were appointed from uh, the beginning or the implementation of Rule 115. All right, so that was from 1985 through 2002. And I want to remind uh, myself and everyone else here that in 2002, we had the dot-com bust. And so at that time, the city was retracting as far as employment. And we were not only retracting, we were laying off 
uh, employees, and so there was also the same happened with the recruitment and appointments of individuals under Rule 115. So if you were to take just the period that you just named, 85 to 2002, yes. um, was there a a pattern of how many people were appointed uh, each year? Was there an increase as you were ramping up, or was it just... You know, it's interesting because it actually took off a little bit slow. So for the first year, we, you know, had uh, a few appointments, and then after, uh, after that, it really picked up. In 1987, for example, we had, you know, 21 appointments. In 1990, we had 46. So it, it really took off, right? And we had a lot of appointments. And then, again, we had the dot-com, and it stopped. And the number of appointments were much more limited in smaller numbers from 2002 to the present. Um, so given that it was sort of getting better before the dot-com bus, um, were there things that people learned that made it a little more, more successful, you know, as you were wrapping up? Uh, I believe that it was through education of our human resources professionals and letting them know about Rule 115 and also reaching out to our CBOs regarding that process. And I will say that uh, it's also important to note that in 2006, uh, we used to have someone in my division, in EEO, who was tasked with reaching out to the CBOs and working with our hiring managers. And in 2006, we lost that position again, uh, you know, through budget. And so we haven't had someone who's been dedicated uh, full-time to this effort. Uh, and so that's why we've realized that we need a recruiter, and we've put it in our budget so that we can start that process again and be more active in that arena. Was that, was that, uh, was there... Was there uh, a recruited during the 2000? There was a decline in the number of appointments after that. No, no. Um, I'm sorry. From 1985 to 2002, was there a recruiter? I'm sorry, I'm having difficulty hearing you. From 1985 to 2002, right. was there a staff that was designated yes. as a recruiter? Okay. Yes, that is correct. Thank you. So before I let President Chu speak, I'll just say that um, as a member of the Budget Committee, I think your recommendation for the staffing that's adequate or necessary for um, strong recruitment and for equal opportunity for people with disabilities, I think that should be a priority in our budget season. So um, it's you. good that Donna Kotaki and, um, and Mickey Callahan are, are here from DHR as well. I wanted to thank you also for acknowledging the work of the advisory panel, the advisory group. And I know um, a number of speakers, Terry Goodwin, um, and others will speak about that experience too um, and some of the recommendations that you've already gone through. Um, but I, and explaining the history of the numbers of the use of 115 um, and how we might raise awareness through your monthly um, human resource professionals meetings that um, Carla Johnson and others will attend. Yes. Um, and your suggestion that an advisory panel, um, re-establishing re an advisory panel, and I think it's good with DHR leaders, but also with community-based organizations Absolutely. and stakeholder groups as well. Right. Um, but I wanted to thank you for presenting. And before we get to the other um, presenters, let me ask if President Chu wanted to make some remarks. 
Thank you uh, to our chairman, and I want to thank, first of all, Supervisor Marr, uh, as well as for advocates from our seniors and disabled communities uh, for calling this very important hearing, and I want to lend my support uh, to making sure that we're fully implementing Civil Service Rule 115. Um, we now in San Francisco, we're blessed to have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country, but we know that we're still leaving too many communities behind, and in particular with unemployment rates for individuals with disabilities, nearly twice that of people without disabilities, with fewer folks with disabilities being counted as unemployed because more of them are leaving the labor force uh, permanently, and with the reality that over a third of all individuals, people on incomes uh, based on government assistance have disability, um, we need to do more. Uh, and one of the interesting things I think we also know about our disabled community is that when they're working, uh, they are more productive in the workplace, they have a much lower turnover rate, uh, and I think we need to do everything we can to move this forward. Uh, I am very open to a number of the proposed solutions that have been put forth, certainly around staffing, uh, with the proposal around a disabled a disability employment coordinator. Um, and then I do know there's some question around whether we can set San Francisco hiring goals for people with disabilities. Um, I'm very open to considering that if we can do that in a legal and constitutional way. And my question on this topic is, Certainly after Prop 209, we're not allowed to set quotas or use race or gender or other factors to establish, uh, to establish certain requirements. But from what I understand, there's nothing that would prevent us from uh, taking in voluntary information and tracking that information. We do that actually when it comes to race and gender and even sexual orientation in a number of contexts. Could you address what we're allowed to collect uh, and what kind of data can we track versus what it seemed to me from you to be possible uh, objections to why we can't right. move forward with certain kind of goals? So federal law does allow us to track race and gender, okay? It does not allow us to track sexual orientation. Uh, it also, we also have not, uh, tracked disabilities, and again, under advice of our city attorney, they believe that to track that would be a violation of privacy. If I could just, uh, so I know, for example, for commission appointments, as we are trying to diversify our commissions, we do track uh, voluntary self-identified data around sexual orientation so that we have a sense of, of, of when someone wants to identify as part of the LGBTQ community. So how does that distinguish from what you're talking about? Well, I know that, again, under advice from our city attorney, we do not track that. We do not ask applicants to identify their sexual orientation or gender identity, for example, and we do not track that. We don't have that. And even for our race and our gender, that is voluntary, and we are allowed to track it because we do receive federal dollars, and as a result of federal dollars and transportation dollars, et cetera, we need to provide statistics to the federal government specific to race and gender. If you're tracking it and it's voluntary, uh, I, I'm sure you're tracking it or you've had a conversation with your city, advice city attorney regarding that. But I know that our advice city attorney is telling us that we should not be tracking that and we okay. should not be asking for that information. Okay, it might be interesting to just get, right. get all those attorneys in the same right. room to help us understand what that's exactly. about. Because I think from my perspective, if we're talking about voluntary self-identification, you know, maybe I'll ask our, our deputy city attorney if you have a perspective on, on this issue, but uh, you know, if, if the goal is to increase these numbers, it's hard to achieve that goal if we don't know where we are. Uh, and is there a way for us to understand that? 
Deputy City Attorney John Gibner. I'm actually not familiar enough with the advice uh, on this issue, but happy to, to circle back with, with you and uh, DHR after this hearing. Right, right. So there is also uh, GINA, Genetic Information Act, which also prohibits us from collecting any information regarding a disability that's tied to genetics. Okay. And that, that is a federal law. Okay. You know, what I think is interesting about this conversation is the community representing people with disabilities is asking us as a city to consider tracking and at least monitoring on a, on a voluntary, self-identified way. And so if there's a way for us to consider that, I, I'm, I'm open to it, um, sure. obviously, given the constrictions of constitutional legal challenges. And we'd be happy to discuss it, continue that discussion as well. Great. Thank you. And Ms. Simon, I just wanted to thank you for the presentation. Um, and the point from uh, Supervisor Yee's question of the, um, the use of Rule 115 over time, it, it does seem like um, resources for staffing positions within DHR um, are critical so that we can um, begin to use the rule, but also other tools for employment for people with disabilities. And then we're going to be in a hiring boom as well, we as some will talk about. So right now it's a critical time. I think reestablishing an advisory panel is critical to deal with the 209 questions and the community um, pretty much demanding that we track so we understand the problem, but to put our heads together to try to figure out how we might gather that data um, for for potential goals and um, benchmarks so we could um, start to um, use Rule 115 and other rules like we were doing in the 80s before the downturn and the dot-com right. bust. Right. Um, and I do want to clarify that uh, our recruiter is going to be recruiting uh, not only and reaching out to CBOs, you know, for the disabled community, but also we're going to be looking at where we have underrepresentation, uh, particularly in those departments where we do receive federal dollars and doing reach out, for example, to females in certain departments because we're underrepresented. We're underrepresented of, you know, Asians and other departments in certain classifications. We're underrepresented by Latinas or Latinos. And we're going to be doing recruitment, you know, for every uh, population in the city, every group. And I know David Chu laid out some of the data of the um, discrimination and barriers to people with disabilities and employment, but it's hard if we don't have any data or way to, to show the, um, the disparities and the underrepresentation. But so an advisory panel could think of ways that we could gather that data, it sounds like. Right, okay. right. <clears throat> Some of the data that we could gather is simply the individuals that are referred to us from the CBOs and how many of those uh, individuals are successful in um, having employment, getting selected for employment with the city. I mean, that that would be very easy for us to track. If, you know, they have the numbers of who they send to us, we could keep those numbers as well. I mean, that would be one way, I guess. Thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you. And the next speaker is Carla Johnson from the Mayor's Office on Disability with a, a few personal stories I hear. Thank you so much, uh, Supervisor Mar Yi, and it's good to see you too, Supervisor Chu. I am Carla Johnson, the director at the Mayor's Office on Disability, and I really want to thank you for the opportunity to speak before you today on this topic. But I especially want to really thank everybody that's in the room today, all of the members of the disability community and the advocates that are here to share their own personal stories along with mine. Uh, your introductory comments were very thoughtful. Um, this is an issue. Employment of people with disabilities is an issue about equity. 
And I know that we're going to be hearing a lot of statistics today, um, but one of the important statistics is that people with disabilities are um, one-third as likely to be employed as people without disabilities. And as we know with um, labor statistics, those numbers are usually kept on the people that are still actively looking for work because they haven't lost hope of ever finding employment. Um, statistically, also, people with disabilities are much more likely to be in low-earning positions uh, nationwide. 52% of people with disabilities earned less than $25,000 per year versus 38% of the general population. And employing people with disabilities is also really about dignity. It's about giving people the opportunity to be financially independent and also to have meaningful work, especially work working for the city of San Francisco where they have the opportunity to do so much good. Employing people with disabilities is also really about a cultural shift. It's seeing people with disabilities as having abilities and being a little bit more blind to the disability and normalizing issues that surround reasonable accommodations. And last of all, employing people with disabilities is really about a civil right because one of those important markers in that timeline is the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. And Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act is specifically about uh, rights for people to be employed as well as obligations for employers on how they work with their workforce. Now, our office, the Mayor's Office on Disability, um, we are the city's overall ADA coordinator, and we are tasked with enforcing another part of the ADA, Title II, which is access to government services, programs, and facilities. And in that work, we work with really all of the different departments citywide who have individual ADA coordinators. And part of what those department ADA coordinators do is make sure that their programs and their services are accessible. So we're talking about making sure that when somebody comes to a, a service counter that they're able to communicate with the staff and also to receive the information that they need in return. But we also work with the ADA coordinators who uh, work on some labor issues. And wanted to refer back again to Title I because in the city structure, when we look at which department or agency is responsible for Title I employment issues, that really is the Department of Human Resources. And of course, we heard today from Linda about their role as they uh, enforce employment policies and more specifically, Rule 115. One thing that our office can do is lead by example, and I'll share a story about uh, our recent employee outreach. As a department head, I'm both a person with a disability as well as an employer of people with disabilities. And so when I was in the recruiting mode for some recent appointments, I worked very closely with my Department of Human Resources staff um, some might say I micromanaged the process, but I, I wanted to be sure that I was copied and aware of all of the communications to make sure that any potential applicants would understand um, the full nature and extent of uh, examinations and interviews so they would understand if they would need to ask for an accommodation, exactly what accommodation that might be. 
In our outreach, I also made sure that we notified many of the different disability advocacy groups because that was really the pool that I was drawing from. Those were the people that I really wanted to hire. So our office has much to offer. Um, you heard Linda mention our offer to be part of the meetings with the human resource uh, managers, and I really look forward to that opportunity. One of the things that our office has done very well in the past is training, and I think that we have much to contribute with that. I'd like to close my comments today with actually my own personal story. I started working for the city 25 years ago. I was a carpenter with the Department of Public Works. And when you're young and you're able, you feel invincible until that moment that something happens that changes your life. And in my case, what happened was I had an industrial injury. And as I think about it today, it still kind of brings up, you know, the welling of emotion. But what happened with my industrial injury was that I was no longer able to perform the essential job duties of my classification as a carpenter. And so a year after my injury, after I had completed my different surgeries, I resurfaced. And in resurfacing, I approached my department head. And in talking to my department head, I let them know I'm ready, I'm able, I'm, it's time for me to come back to work. And I gave the department head a listing of different jobs that I felt that I was qualified for and that, that I was able to do as well with my disability. Well, lucky for me, my department head was very savvy, and he was aware of this Rule 34 opportunity. And so with Rule 34, which is what later transitioned into Rule 115, I was able to be placed in a new job classification, one that I met the minimum qualifications for, and that was as a building inspector. I was able to use my construction skills now to supervise the work of others instead of performing the work myself. Over the years at the Department of Building Inspection, I became a senior building inspector, a chief building inspector, a deputy director, and then now I'm the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability. So I really feel that my experience with Rule 34, which became 115, is really makes me a poster child of how this important tool really can contribute to bringing qualified people with disabilities into the workforce. But in looking at that tool, being again a carpenter always at heart, I recognize that it's only one tool in the toolbox and that the other tools that our city needs really is to be always working with the individuals that we have already to give them reasonable accommodations so they can be placed into future positions and also to do good recruitment, good training, and good hiring. So I offer my services and I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Actually, Ms. Johnson, can I just ask you how you found out about Rule 34, which later is called Rule 115, the DPW department head did your department head know about it, or how, how are you connected with the rule? It's a really good question. Um, I did not know about it beforehand. It was when I had the conversation with the department head, and the department head had invited uh, his <coughs> director of human resources to the meeting, who was very much familiar with it and offered that as a, uh, a solution to our problem. And thank you for being a poster child as well. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Well, the next speaker is Jennifer Johnston.
our director, executive director of the Civil Service Commission. And thank you for being here. Morning. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I was only recently included in these conversations, so um, I apologize that I'm not entirely up to speed on all of the issues. Um, but on behalf of the Civil Service Commission, you know, uh, Ms. Simon uh, gave a, an extensive presentation on Civil Service Rule 115. <coughs> I do want to say that the Civil Service Commission has a policy of equal employment in all aspects of employment uh, opportunities and um, promotions. Uh, and we certainly encourage um, the use of and the advertisement, as it were, of Rule 115. I did also want to say that rule, the, the authority for Rule 115, however, is in the Charter. Uh, and I believe that one of the recommendations is to amend Rule 115, and I think that that would be um, some of what's being suggested would be inconsistent with the will of the voters and uh, violation of the Charter in terms of uh, merit system requirements. Um, but beyond that, I'm also happy to join the conversation to brainstorm on ways that we can uh, improve upon uh, recruiting individuals. Uh, the Commission also very much adamantly supports the request for a recruiter. In fact, we'd endorse a request for three recruiters because uh, it sounds like that person's going to have a lofty uh, job and goal. But uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have uh, with respect to Rule 115. But again, it is something that's um, firmly codified in the Charter Section 10.104. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And the next speaker is Anya Casey, who's the employment coordinator for our California Department of Rehabilitation. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and uh, thank you for this opportunity to speak um, to the issue um, of Rule 115. Um, it's lovely to see everybody here in the spirit of goodwill, and thank you for your leadership um, around this issue. Um, so I work for the state of California, we're Department of Rehabilitation, and our job is to help people with disabilities to transition back into work. Um, we help to fund, uh, whether it's, you know, retraining, oh, I need to go to city college, I need to get new skills, or assistive, assistive uh, technology and that kind of thing. Um, and we help to job match our consumers at the end of that process. Um, we at my own office have 22% of our staff are people with disabilities. Um, we know this because 22% uh, of our staff came in on our state hiring program, which is called LEAP, um, Limited Examination, uh, I can't remember what the A stands for, which is, uh, I'll have to go look it up, but limited examination um, process is the P. Um, and I'll be happy to get you that information. So 22% of our staff came in on LEAP, as did I. Um, I will tell you that as somebody who came in um, as a person with a disability um, who experienced being hired by an employer that took a chance on me to do a good job. Um, I am more than happy to disclose my disability, and I can tell you that the reason we know that 22% you know, of our staff um, are people with disabilities is because they're going to do the same. We know this by virtue of self-disclosure. Mm -hmm. um, we do not, you know, as a state organization, we do not coerce people into um, disclosing but we have a voluntary um, statewide, not just in Department of Rehab. We have voluntary disclosure. Um, 
so you'll get an email every year, you know, would you like to disclose that you have a disability? Um, we do three workshops um, about hiring people with disabilities. We do one on the LEAP process, and that's um, to help our consumers also access LEAP jobs, state jobs. We do one on federal hiring process, and I should say, similar to, these are similar programs to Rule 115, so non-competitive hiring for people with disabilities. LEAP is the state one, Schedule A is the federal one. Um, we do workshops on them every month. We are chomping at the bit to add the workshop for, to show people how to get hired under Rule 115. We have mentioned Rule 115 to our um, clients and they'll say to us, hey, I went on the website um, for city and county jobs and I just don't see any Rule 115 jobs under there. Um, we love the city of San Francisco. Um, you guys hired the most, you were the, the number one employer of clients who came to our door, through our doors last year and actually um, we celebrated you at our Christmas, um, at our holiday rather party. Um, so we love city of California. I mean, we love city of San Francisco and um, yeah, thank you so much for taking your leadership uh, role in this position. Um, Ms. Casey, can I just ask you how, I think, are there three different tiers of disability? There's like general, then there's severely disabled, and then there's most significantly disabled. Is that correct? And can you give us some certainly. examples of the differences of the types of disability? Yeah, certainly. So I think what you're talking about is for a person who wants to transition back to work. Okay, so they'll come through our doors, they'll go, look, I don't know what to do. I lost my job. I need to get retraining. Okay, where the three levels come in, I need to either get retraining or I need to get a job and I need your help with that. Where the three levels come in is uh, state of California has been broke. We're doing better now, but because um, of limited funding, uh, we have established priority, so as to how we serve those clients, who gets served first. And so people um, uh, are divided into those three categories, and then they get served according to our funds, how, many, how much we have in our coffers. Um, we have just opened up um, our, uh, we have just opened up our um, category three um, which you mentioned, we've just opened up uh, during the week, actually we got an email, that people in category three are, um, are uh, now eligible for services. But the three, the three, just to clarify, so those three categories that you're talking about, it's more to do with eligibility for Department of Rehab services okay. um, in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, and my understanding for our Rule 115 is you have to get some certification from the Department of Rehabilitation that you are severely disabled, is that correct? Um, you know, I, because we haven't had people come okay. through looking for 115 um, certification, um, I can't say this about many things, but I'm too young to know about that. <laughs> I don't get to say that anymore. But I wasn't around in the 80s when people were coming through our doors going, hey, how do I get eligible for Rule 115? Um, what I can tell you is that um, for LEAP and for Schedule A, you know, um, everyone who comes through our door 
is eligible for those is eligible for those programs. Okay. Um, yeah. Then can I just ask, yeah. um, what would make somebody severely disabled versus generally disabled? And if somebody's unemployed right now and they need to establish that they're severely disabled, what would be some of those factors? And I, I think it has to do with at least one of your physical um, senses, mm -hmm. significant barriers with that. But if you could just distinguish what's a general disability and then what's a severe person who's severely disabled. Sure, okay, so for the purposes of um, eligibility for, uh, um, okay, so for Schedule A or LEAP, what you're, what you're looking for, and I, again, I'm sorry that I can't speak to um, Rule 115. So my knowledge of it is that for eligibility uh, for Schedule A or for LEAP, a doctor needs to sign off to say that you have um, a condition uh, which significantly limits a daily life function. Um, and, you know, most all of our consumers that we serve um, fit into that role. So that can be anything from, oh, I can't dress myself or I have trouble doing that. I have trouble keeping a job um, and like that, yeah. Okay. But I would love to connect you with somebody um, who's doing less guesswork on this than I. It's not my um, function in the organization, but I can connect you with HR um, that can clarify those questions for you. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I see no other questions, but thank you for being here. Um, and thank you for honoring San Francisco's DHR department as well. Um, the next couple of speakers before opening up for public comment, and we have a bunch of speaker cards. Um, there are a number of community-based organizations that are here, but I wanted to especially thank Jonathan Lyons, the president of the FDR Democratic Club in our city. Um, and I forgot to mention that Jessica Lehman from Senior and Disability Action is here as well. Um, so why don't we start with Jonathan Lyons, and we're going to try to keep these um, community um, comments as short as we can as well so that we can get to all the public comment. Jonathan, thank you for your leadership on this issue too. Thank you. off my shoulder. Um, my name is Jonathan Lyons. I am president of the FDR Democratic Club of San Francisco. Uh, first, uh, you know, the official stuff out of the way, uh, just for the record, I am uh, proud to say I am a city employee, uh, but I am here on my own time, um, not even being paid to be here. Uh, but uh, on behalf of the FDR Democratic Club, I just want to say thank you to the Board of Supervisors for taking up this issue. Uh, a specific thank you to Supervisor Marr, uh, a longtime advocate of our community. Uh, thank you for championing this issue here at the board. And also want to thank all of the advocates uh, that are here in the room and also our city staff as well. Um, you, know, you cannot have a more qualified, hardworking, caring staff. And I think that's the benefit of this issue is that you know, we are all coming, from this, coming at this issue from the same desire 
to increase the hiring and the employment of people with disabilities in city service. So really what we're talking about here is employment, but really what does that mean? That means empowerment through employment. That's what this is. It's empowering people with disabilities by helping them get jobs. So before we get into the weeds on this issue, I think it's important that we paint the picture of really where are we. So first things first is the unemployment rate. Um, this is what everybody knows of as you know, how we measure the number of people with disabilities and people without disabilities that are employed. Uh, on this slide, there's a chart, a bar chart that indicates that the unemployment rate in the disability community is about twice as high as it is in the non-disabled community. Um, you know, this rate was not even tracked for years, and it wasn't until January of 2009 that the Bureau of Labor Statistics at the Federal Department of Labor even started to track the number of people with disabilities that weren't employed. Um, and just for the wonks in the room, um, because the number of, because this data has not been tracked for so long, um, it is not seasonally adjusted. So on the chart that I'm displaying here, the unemployment rate that I'm comparing to in the non-disabled community is also not seasonally adjusted. So we are comparing apples to apples here. Um, so moving along, um, on an issue that was touched on before is the labor force participation rate. And what is that? And that, in a nutshell, is the number of people that are, one, either employed, or two, actively looking for a job. And the unemployment rate is calculated from the labor force participation rate. So it's not the entire, it's not the entire population as a percentage of people that are not employed. It's just the people that are actively in the job hunt or actively employed. Um, so just for comparison's sake, uh, and the yearly data from 2013 shows that the labor force participation rate in the disability community was on average 20.3%. Now, if you're like me, you think that sounds really bad. Um, and, but to compare that, the labor force participation rate for the non-disabled community for the same period was 68.9%. Um, so the last slide uh, that I showed indicated that there was actually a slight decline in the number of, in the, in the unemployment rate in the disability community. But what this chart shows, it's a line chart, the top line will show you the labor force participation rate, the bottom line shows the unemployment rate in the disability community, um, and it shows that there is actually a corresponding decline in the labor force participation rate for people with disabilities compared to the unemployment rate in the same community. What does that mean? It does not mean that the unemployment rate is coming down because people with disabilities are finding jobs. It means that people with disabilities, by and large, are giving up. And that is the important thing to say, that that's, that is the discussion which we're framing this, you know, that's really where we are when we frame this discussion. So most importantly, the big question that we're all asking here today, so what? Employment for people with disabilities, employment across the entire population is a reflection of one's identity. It's something that a lot of us take for granted. We, everybody's got to get up, go to work in the morning. It's actually kind of a drag. 
Um, well, one of the most one of, when you meet somebody new, one of the first questions you ask is, "What do you do for a living?" When the answer to that question is, "I do nothing," how will people with disabilities ever be perceived as equals in society? And when we move, when we talk about having people with disabilities in the employment sector, you know, it's important to know that people, there are studies out there that show this. People with disabilities are more loyal. There are private sector studies that indicate that the turnover rate of people with disabilities is actually 40 percentage points, 4-0, lower than people without disabilities. They are more productive. They require less sick time. They take less time off, and they stay longer. And, you know, it's something that makes not only good moral sense, but it makes good fiscal sense. They, as pointed out earlier by, I believe, Supervisor Chu, um, roughly more than a third of people that are on income-based government assistance identify as having a disability. So if we are able to help these folks transition to gainful employment, not only do we one, reduce the burden on government to say, you know, to pay those benefits, but we also increase the tax base. So no matter, you know, what side of the political spectrum that you fall on, this is a good idea. All right, so coming up next, um, some of our current challenges uh, with Rule 115. Um, most significantly, uh, from our perspective and from our members' perspective and the other stuff that we've heard in the community is that it does limit to entry-level positions. And I know that it was discussed earlier, I believe, by uh, the Executive Officer of the Civil Service Commission that this is all refined, you know, defined very specifically in the Charter. And I know from uh, my time working in uh, the Department of Human Resources, you cannot, you cannot go against the super charter powers. And it's something that it's also important that, you know, this body, the Board of Supervisors, has the ability to put things on the ballot to change that charter. And if we are able to identify a specific package of reforms that need to be made to the charter, then that is something that our organization would support wholeheartedly. Um, but also moving forward, I think it's also important to note that, you know, there has been such a dearth of civil service, Rule 115 positions that have come through in the last 10 years that there is no real formal process as defined, you know, as pointed out by the Department of Rehabilitation. You know, she, as a, a representative of the State Department that is required to help people with disabilities find jobs, was unfamiliar with how the rule should be, is applied in the city because it simply is not, and it's not happening. So, you know, we would advocate that there be a we need to institute a formal structure uh, for how do we educate hiring managers out in the department and build, um, build a long-lasting pipeline of qualified applicants that are ready to work, uh, that want to work for the city. Jonathan, I'm going to have to ask you to, as quickly as you can, try to summarize and, and wrap up. Sure. Um, so we have a couple of major recommendations that have already really been discussed. Uh, one, we would advocate the formation of a position um, housed wherever uh, the, this body decides, along with the mayor. Um, 
to be a disability employment coordinator. Um, we think that it should be somebody from the disability community, somebody familiar with the city process, somebody familiar with the disability, with the disability community and how to get things done in the city. Uh, this person could be the person to build a lot of those bridges that we, uh, that I discussed in the last slide, um, and also to help departments uh, meet some hiring targets uh, that they may or may not have met. Um, and the next uh, recommendation that we have uh, is actually to uh, have hiring targets in the city for the disability community. Um, analogous to um, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act um, that the federal government set, uh, recently instituted for all of its vendors. Um, I would say that probably the federal government only instituted it for its vendors because um, doing it for all of federal service would have required an act of Congress and as we all know, those don't happen very much these days. Um, but I know it's something that has been controversial. Um, I have discussed this recommendation with uh, DHR staff, um, and uh, the Proposition 209 question was pointed out to me. Uh, so I try to do a little due diligence. I'm not an attorney, but I did go back and read the text of the proposition, and I also read the text of, charter, uh, of Chapter 31 of the State Charter. Uh, that outlaws affirmative action. Um, and when it lists those, it does not actually specifically call out um, disability as a community that could not, that where affirmative action is outlawed. So uh, just lastly, very quickly, um, you know, the city is, as discussed, is at a turning point. Um, you know, the mayor's budget uh, that was recently submitted to this body calls for hiring of 1,400 new positions over the next two years. Uh, people with disabilities are ready, willing, and able uh, to assume these positions, and we are looking for a partnership uh, from this body, from city staff, uh, to move forward and help get people with disabilities hired into what are very equitable um, and very good, very solid union jobs in San Francisco. Thank and you I'm so much, to Mr. Any questions. Thank you. I, I see no questions, Mr. Lyons. Thank you so much for your leadership and the presentation. The next speaker is Kate Williams um, and Julie McCarthy from Lighthouse for the Blind. And we're starting our process to, for public comment is open now, and we're asking people to try to limit their, their comments to, to two minutes. Um, if you need additional time, I'll, I'll ask a question or two to extend that time. But um, so Ms. Williams or Ms. McCarthy? I have a wingman here, <laughs> Julie McCarthy. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Kate Williams. I'm with the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco, and I manage the Employment Immersion Program. I'm so pleased to be having an opportunity to speak to you from the community. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I found that the, re the reason is that people with disabilities are not unemployed because of their disability. They are unemployed because they don't have a job, plain and simple. That's why they're unemployed. We can't look at our disability as keeping us from gainful employment. In fact, if I look at this room right now, the people from our community, those who are here uh, with disabilities and representing our community, we could fill this chamber with so many more people who would have their resume in hand and they would say, I want to work. And that's why we're here today. It's because the people, people with disabilities could be the most 
overly educated, underemployed people um, in your whole community. I am a senior citizen, and I'm blind. So that's two strikes against me, and yet I feel I'm the most fortunate person in the world because why? I have a job. It, it brings me great joy to work with the people in our community, specifically I work with the blind. And I know that in working with them, we've had over 110 people go through our program, and we've had a 34% placement rate with those people, so you can't tell me that they aren't ready for jobs. I think some of the most coveted jobs are here with the city. When I start working individually with people and we ask them where do you want to work, it's going to be with the city. And I'm happy to say that at the Lighthouse we have developed, I think, an outstanding and remarkably close relationship with the um, HR department. Um, I can't thank Donna Katake enough for being always open and listening to our um, our reasons for wanting to have people gain employment. We've actually placed someone with the city through Rule 115, so I think that's a positive. We'd like to see that happen more frequently, and just two recommendations from at least our community is that many of our people that work with us are not at an entry level. Even though they may have a gap in their resume because they've taken time out to retrain with adaptive technology, which has made our community particularly strong and capable in holding positions beyond the entry level, we'd like to have you consider that it be open to more than just the, uh, and more closely emulate perhaps Schedule A with the government or the LEAP uh, model that's by the state. In addition to that, we'd like to see Rule 115 used more frequently and an opportunity. I think a lot of managers do not know that it exists. And I think if they did, I think they might um, use it more frequently. Those are our two requests. But we do want to thank the City of San Francisco for hiring three of, three of the people from our program, and particularly mm -hmm. one through 115. Thank you. Thanks, Ms. Williams. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the next speaker is Terry Goodwin from the ARC. Thank you very much, supervisors. Um, the ARC San Francisco has been um, placing people successfully in jobs for over 35 years. And we've recently experienced a lot of success because of the tech boom, which is wonderful. But historically, it's been very difficult in good times and bad. And as was referenced before, the unemployment for people with disabilities is very high. And I think it's closer to 70% of the people that really want to work, so or 80%. So um, we have not had much success with the Rule 115. We had one hire in 2001, and we actually have had a placement through the Maria Shriver Initiative in 2009 with the city, which has been great. So we really want to reactivate this uh, rule and get it going and get people hired. Um, and just to comment on the reason why the Rule 115 did so well in the 80s and 90s, Department of Rehab had a very active role. They had a placement person that was marketing to the department heads. But most of all, Diane Feinstein, who was mayor at that time, really had a call to action with all the department heads. And the other big reason was because there was a point person hired within the city that sent job postings out on a regular basis and was marketing internally. I think those are the three key reasons. Um, I did have the opportunity to participate on an advisory council with the HR department. There were lots of recommendations that came out of that. To my knowledge, most of them were never implemented for whatever reason. 
Um, I won't go through each one of those, but what I'll get to right now is the list of recommendations the ARC has. We would really like to see, uh, and other organizations have mentioned it as well, we would really like to see um, the re-energizing of some of those former recommendations, and we would like to see um, uh, the implementation of a plan to actually have regular opportunities for the CBOs to meet with the HR uh, hiring managers. We would also really like to see internship opportunities for people in a wide range of positions with different departments providing supported employment um, to help build a bridge to successful job hires. And we want to encourage the mayor uh, Mayor Lee to really give a call to action around this effort. And um, let's see, we, the other piece I'd like to mention is there's, we'd like to encourage HR to, and maybe this advisory council, this um, advisory group to re-energize and get, uh, look at the other successful programs. And I happen to know one in Seattle, they have an excellent program, a support employment um, coordinator that facilitates a lot of the hires with all the vendors. And I think that that would be one to look at. And there's other um, programs you know, throughout the country that we could look at as well. So thank you very much. And we look forward to more jobs. That's the main, main goal here. Actually, thanks for the service on that past advisory panel. And I can't locate any of the documents, so if, if we could um, touch base at some point afterwards. To, I can okay. scan those and send those to you. So it was it was more than just the the rule 115. It was a full mm -hmm. three page recommendation. So I would be glad to do that. And thanks for your um, current day recommendations as well. Okay, thank you very thank much. You. Um, the next speaker is um, Jesse Lorenz from the San Francisco Independent Living Resource Center, and she'll be followed by uh, Jessica Lehman from Senior and Disability Action. So is Jesse Lorenz here? Um, if, apparently, Jesse um, could not be here, so let me ask if um, if Jessica Lehman could come forward. And thanks to Senior and Disability Action for being here as well. Thank you. Good afternoon, supervisors and attendees. Thank you so much for holding this hearing. Uh, my name is Jessica Lehman at Senior and Disability Action, and we, of course, are, are concerned with the very low uh, employment rates of people with disabilities. We hear from people regularly coming through our doors, people with disabilities and seniors, and a lot of overlap who are looking for jobs, looking for anything, and it, it's very, very difficult. Um, and this is a civil rights issue, as has been pointed out. It's also an issue of, of what's good for our city, that we want people with all sorts of different perspectives um, working in our city and sharing sharing their experiences. So we're really glad that this issue is being considered. Um, on the issue of, of tracking, for starters, that's such a basic piece, is to know how many people with all different kinds of disabilities we have working in the city. Um, and, and we believe it's not only allowed, but actually required of some federal contractors. So we'd like to see that happen. And we support the other suggestions that have been raised uh, by the FDR Democratic Club and, and others. Um, so thank you again, supervisors, for taking on the issue of employment of people with disabilities. And we look forward to working with you. Thank you. I'm going to call a couple of cards now. And um, people don't have to come forward in this order, but just if your name is called, then you could. Um, so we have Vera Hale from the long-term care Coordinating Council, Sarah Murphy, um, Leah Vander May from the Academy of Sciences, and David Fazio, Susan Pfeiffer, 
um, John Alex Lowell. So anybody whose name has been mentioned could come forward, and I'll call other cards in a minute. And thank you, Ms. Hale, for your, your longtime work for seniors and people with disabilities as well. So this is Vera Hale. Yes, yes. Thank you for the introduction. Um, I'm a member of the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council as well as a few other organizations that some of you know about. And I'm on a subcommittee that is working on making San Francisco a more age and disabled friendly city. And one of the things, we have gotten approval to pursue this from the World Health Organization. And one of the things they're especially interested in is what we're going to do with disabled, because they say nobody else have done that, has included that, and they're making the city disabled friendly. And I hope that will bring back some of the zeal we had in the beginning, um, we are looking at things like jobs and housing and transportation for both seniors and people with disabilities. And so this, I wanted to be here to hear what was said in the beginning, and we'll be wanting to hear more as we go on about progress, too. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hale. Next speaker. Hi, my name is uh, Sarah Murphy, and I'm the director of WorkLink, which is an employment service for people with disabilities. And I wanted to, since I only have two minutes to talk, um, I wanted to thank San Francisco for being a very progressive employer for people with disabilities. Um, but I also wanted to comment and uh, focus my comment on people with intellectual and developmental disabilities or significant disabilities. Um, and I think for those individuals, more is needed than just an alternative hiring uh, policy and or quotas. Um, what I would like to see uh, established um, would be an internship program that would allow people to develop the qualifications needed. As Ms. Simon had mentioned, the, um, the, the bar is high for public service jobs. I mean, people are required to have minimum qualifications. And for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities who don't have access to training through uh, public institutions or, um, or post-secondary institutions or um, vocational training, uh, internship programs have proven to be very, very instrumental in helping people to get um, uh, good-paying uh, career-oriented positions. Um, in Alameda, as uh, Terry mentioned, Seattle has done a wonderful job with internship programs, but more locally, Alameda County has established a program um, that provides year-long internships for p individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And what they have found is not only do the people gain um, the skills necessary to be competitive, it also creates uh, an understanding and educates hiring managers on what people with intellectual and developmental disabilities can do. Um, so they have seen tremendous outcomes from this program. People are getting jobs at thirty dollars to $45,000 a year within, I think they are now within nine of the departments in the, in the county of Alameda. Um, 
understand. Oh, my time's up. Um, <laughs> so I would love to see uh, something like that be established here in San Francisco for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Thank you. Ms. Murphy, I'll, I'll follow up with you to get the contacts for the Alameda County uh, program. That would be useful Happy to, to look at. Happy to provide that, yeah. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is David Fazio. Good morning, supervisors. I'm a disability services consultant that has successfully facilitated the recruiting of employees with disabilities through the federal government's equivalent to your Rule 115 program. At a time when less than 1% of the federal workforce was an employee with a disability, which had been on a 20% decline over the previous five years. Yes, they do track it. It is my experience that in order for these programs to work, a supervisor must willingly announce a vacancy targeting persons with disabilities. You can see that on USA Jobs if you search by appointment type, accepted service. Those are only appointments open to people with disabilities. That does not happen very often, if ever, though, when these employees are perceived as a potential lawsuit and burden. Language in this reasonable accommodation manual, such as, whenever an employee complains about difficulty performing his or her job and links that complaint to a medical condition, portrays disabled employees as a potential lawsuit. The language of this manual is very litigious and defensive. I believe it can and should be reframed in an appreciative context that seeks to enable an efficient and productive workforce rather than protect itself from potential ADA violations. Cooperative understanding training should be provided to shift the mindsets to strengths-based thinking about what works and how to make it work better for everyone, contributions towards common goals, and how that each individual, what each individual can do is all that matters. Diversity training focuses on all of our differences. Differences equal conflict, period, no matter how much you learn about them. I'm almost done. We implemented a job mentoring program through the Air Force to demonstrate that employees, what employees with disabilities can do with no obligation to hire, and it was widely successful. I'm a former federal union rep that has litigated disability discrimination before EEOC judges, and if you'd like to know more about the recommendations I have on this manual, please get in touch with me. Thank you, Mr. Fazio. I'm going to call a few more names. Alice Bierman, uh, Richard Rothman, Regina Binkmer, Vera Honin from Toolworks, Mark Melanson from Toolworks, Maura McDonough from Golden Gate Regional Center. Next speaker, Susan. May I use this microphone? It's a little lower down. Um, I'm a little embarrassed because I'm not disabled, but I'm here today to speak up because I've been seeing what's going on and it disturbs me. So Susan, Susan Pfeiffer is from the FDR Democratic yes, Club. Yes, I'm, I'm the secretary of the FDR Club, Democratic Club. And I was asked to join the club to help them learn how to do voter registration, and I fell in love with the club. I fell in love with the intelligence and the spirit and the passion of the people in the club, and I've become an advocate for them. Um, it looks to me like disability hiring may be one of the last forms of discrimination. We have tackled racial discrimination. We have tackled sexual orientation. We have not tackled disability hiring. And those, as has been stated before, those employees are loyal and hardworking and they stay a long time. They are also some of the most intelligent people. Um, 
I, I almost want to say if Stephen Hawking were to apply for a job in San Francisco today and had not been a world-renowned author, would he be hired? That may be the brilliance that we are losing by looking past, not looking past disabilities to hire people. We also just passed a statewide bond measure to, to create more housing for homeless veterans. We know there are an enormous number of veterans who are coming back from the wars in Iraq and Af Afghanistan with disabilities. If those veterans, some, in some cases, had jobs, maybe they wouldn't be homeless. Maybe they would have more self-esteem and feel welcomed back to their country. Um, I'm going to one more quote that Jonathan just gave me um, that I really like. People with disabilities may be the most qualified people we are not hiring. Think about that. Yeah, thank, thank you, you. Ms. Pfeiffer. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is John Alex Lowell. I am a member of the FDR Democratic Club of San Francisco, and I hold a seat at your, at your will and mercy on the Pedestrian Safety Advisory Committee to represent the needs of seniors and people with disabilities at the moment since 2010. I represent the needs of people with disabilities to seek employment and safety and liaisoning between the, the, the different city agencies. That is a functional role that I see where we could have more employment for people with disabilities is, is the left hand talking to the right hand in the city agencies. Note, it is the Department of Public Works that repaves the sidewalk. Are they talking to SFMTA? A person who has a disability could be a liaison there who has contextual realization of the need of how we could make the streets safer for people with disabilities. There is other needs that needs to be addressed here in the building, the HOPE program on housing and the needs of social services for veterans. I have been a professional volunteer with the VA Medical Center and the Pomeroy Recreation and Rehab Center. We have great resources, such as been mentioned by the coordinator of several of the programs today that I encourage the city to tap into. We are waiting for you. We are willing to come to you, the city hiring directors. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lowell. Next speaker. Good morning, everybody. This Good is morning. Alice Spearman. I am from um, Senior in Disability Action, and I'm here to, I'm a little nervous in front of a lot of people, even though I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to share a little bit of my personal story. Um, as you can see or cannot see, <laughs> I'm a person with disability. And a lot of time, for a long time, when I was looking for a job for years since the 90s, um, you know, I've gone you know, through the, you know, first interview, second interview, and quite a few times I was the, you know, one out of two at the final choice, and I was rarely chosen. And a lot of time it made me wonder, like, why is that? And, and a couple of them was, you know, with the city, you know, employee too. So I just wanted to share that, you know, it is true that people like us are struggling, and I really appreciate that we're considering here right now, and thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Beerman. Next speaker.
Good morning. Morning. Hello. Thank you, Supervisors. Um, I'm Leah Vandermay with the California Academy of Sciences. We're over in District 1. Um, I manage the public floor team um, and all the guest-facing staff, but more importantly, I'm an advocate for people for disabilities and have been for a long time. Um, recently, I've joined the ARCS Business Advisory Council, um, and they've been great partners to us as well. Um, you know, what's important for people to think about is, you know, this is not charity. This is, you know, this is a good human thing. And this is the only minority group that you can join at any given time. It's pretty mind-blowing to think of it that way. Um, I'm proud to say that the Academy of Sciences supports this effort. Um, we've already incorporated it into our normal and everyday um, hiring practices. Um, we've, in just in the last year, we've hired four employees with disabilities um, in partnership, again, with the ARC of San Francisco. Um, and in the fall, we'll begin a partnership with Access SFUSD and bringing on two youth interns um, with disabilities. Um, you know, the great thing about it is that we gain such skilled and highly qualified employees, um, you know, as a, from a business perspective. Um, what was surprising to us <laughs> is that you also gain so much in staff morale. Um, the staff just sort of rally around this group of people, and it's such a great experience for them because, you know, they're seeing, you know, their, you know, coworkers coming to work today with whatever challenges they may have, and they're still there on time. Um, often we find that our, these employees are usually the most, even more dedicated, and that kind of encourages the rest of the team to perform even higher. Um, so again, we just, the Academy very much supports this effort, and thank you so much for your time for this discussion. Ms. Vandermeer, can I just, Ask, so it's with Access San Francisco Unified School District and it's youth internships of youth with yes. disabilities. Yes, it's youth um, 18, ages 18 to 22, and we'll begin that in September. And then given some of the other recommendations of starting other employment internship type programs in the city, it would be useful to know how your um, success is with that. I wanted to thank Ike Kwan, the general manager, also from the Academy of Sciences for being here. And it sounds like you're partnering with many community-based groups as well, but what a, what a model program you have at the Academy. Thank you. But, yeah, thank you. Next speaker, Mr. Rothman. Hello, supervisors, and thanks for having this hearing today. My name is Richard Rothman. Uh, I worked for the city for 26 years. I retired about uh, five years ago, and I'm going to have this quote, and I'll say it now and say it at the end. Attitudes are the real disabilities. Um, when I came into the city, I didn't even know I was dyslectic until um, later on, but um, so I didn't get advantage of uh, Rule 115 because it wasn't it didn't start when I started. But I was also co-chair co of SEIU's uh, People with Disabilities, and. One of our uh, complaints we had from the people, from our members who were in the disability community and were working for the city was about advancement. And um, they felt that 115, or Rule 134, or 34 at the time, pigeonholed people. So uh, maybe, you know, if the city had a really active hiring policy of hiring people with disabilities, we wouldn't need um, Rule 115. And, um, you know, I always felt that I, uh, you know, was pigeonholed and, um, you know, persons with hidden disabilities is whether you should disclose it, you know, in the job interview. And that was one of my biggest decisions. And when I did, um, I know I remember two interviews I went to, and I 
was actually discriminated against, even though I asked for advance or uh, for accommodations. And so I think uh, we need to have interns. So department managers need to know that they can work with people with disabilities. I don't. The problem is HR, but I think the problem is with the hiring officers that they need to be educated in hiring people with disabilities and won't discriminate against them in the job interview. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Mr. Mr. Rothman. Um, I'm going to call a few more names. Um, Dan Cornejo uh, from Golden Gate Regional Center, um, Enrique Rodriguez. Jen and Bob Planhold, and those are the, all the cards that I have. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Regina Berkner, and for the last uh, over 20 years, I've been involved in the business of this hearing, which is making sure that disabled people have an opportunity to gain their education and to apply their education to a functional lifetime job that may allow them to survive in the workforce and in life. Um, I'm here primarily to introduce my niece, Nairi Scanlon, over there, Hi. who has just graduation, graduated from San Francisco State with a bachelor's degree in marine science and um, environmental concerns. And she has been a volunteer at the Academy of Sciences for over 21 years. Her activities at the Academy of Sciences came about through an act of discrimination. She tried to sign up for a junior academy course and was told by the then person who was in charge that they couldn't have people with disabilities because they didn't know how to teach them or how to get along with them or anything else. So uh, I contacted the board at the academy and voiced my concerns about that act of discrimination. And uh, they said, well, wait till the regular person is here. And that person came back and immediately said that she was granted access to any academy course, any junior academy course, and subsequent to that, she became a volunteer and then a student worker at the Academy of Sciences. Right now, she's trying to get me to hurry up because she has an appointment at 1 o'clock to do her volunteer work. So, thank you. But I think that's an example of you give people an opportunity and a chance, and they become valuable volunteers and members of the institution. But really good example. Next speaker. Good morning, uh, almost afternoon. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak today um, and, and uh, thrilled for your leadership on uh, making 115 rule and a, a, a continued priority. Uh, my name is Mark Belanson. I'm the Director of Community Services at Toolworks. Um, Toolworks started its, uh, opened its doors providing employment services here in San Francisco in 1975. Um, Pac Bell was throwing away some broken tools and our visionary saw that as an opportunity to fix those tools and, and use the money that they were buying new tools with to pay people. Um, so that's how we got our name Toolworks. Um, you know, I haven't, you have, you've heard some horrible stats about unemployment rates. Um, those, those are real. Um, you know, uh, employment definitely gives full uh, inclusion, full integration. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big step towards that. Um, if uh, uh, 
as was mentioned, the federal 7% uh, increase in um, disability uh, employment is through contracts. Maybe the supervisors could also support that um, kind of initiative um, here in the city, is that through procurements and bids that there be a, a certain amount of uh, folks that are employed with disabilities through those. Um, you know, we're at an interesting time. Employment First just passed uh, in California. Um, there's some employment bills out there that are really important uh, that, need to, that need to support, SB, 55, SB 577, um, AB 1626, uh, and SB 1160, um, all really important. Uh, I'll mirror many of the comments about internships, um, definitely an opportunity. Um, and uh, the workforce is out there, as, as demonstrated by the number of uh, CBOs that are here and, and folks testifying. So thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Vera Honan from Toolworks. Um, I've worked with people with dis developmental disabilities for the past 10 years. I'm currently the Toolworks coordinator of Project Search, which is an internship program at UCSF Medical Center and the California Public Utilities Commission. Um, everybody's talked about internships. Um, Project Search is unique in the sense that each intern has the opportunity to be fully immersed in an employment setting while being supported by their on-site job coach. It also serves as an entry point to large agencies that previously had minimal contact with people with disabilities. A partnership with the city and county to bring internships to San Francisco is one way to address the desire for the city of San Francisco to be diverse in its workforce and to use Rule 115 to, its, to the advantage of the citizens in San Francisco. We have a viable pool of candidates that would excel with the positions available and a circle of support that will continue to facilitate the employment growth of the individual. As a born and raised San Francisco native, one of the things I value most about the city is the, the diversity, and I hope we can continue this history of diversity within its workforce by providing more opportunities for people with disabilities. Thank you. Ms. Honan, who are the partners besides Toolworks of Project Search? Um, so we're currently partnered up with UCSF Medical Center and California Public Utilities Commission. But uh, the ARC also has a small project search site with PG&E and WorkLink. So Terry and Sarah, um, WorkLink has Kaiser. Okay, great. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Next speaker. <clears throat> Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Enrique Rodriguez. I'm a client from WorkLink. I would love to work for the city of San Francisco. I've recently completed a year-long internship at Kaiser Permanente. I've gained experience and valuable skills, including clerical skills in the HR department. I can type at 60 words per minute. Please promote the Rural 150 programs to provide people like me the opportunity to work in the public sector. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Rodriguez. Thank you. You are very well. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Don Corneja from Golden Gate Regional Center. Thank you for having this uh, uh, forum today. It's great to, great to be here. Um, <clears throat> I work for Golden Gate Regional Center. My area is supported living services, very severe people with, divis uh, with disabilities. Um, they get many supports to live on their own, be independent, access the community. Many of them do not work because they can't find work, as was echoed in many of the comments. Um, in the interest of time, I want to say I support absolutely every comment that the uh, young woman from the ARC made earlier. The, um, the guidelines are the, um, that were mentioned from those years past, the three pages, I believe. Since you requested those, <clears throat> I'd like to ask if you could make them um, available to the public so the rest of us can see them also. That would be okay. wonderful for us. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cornejo. 
Next speaker, and the last card I have is Gabriel Rogan from, who's the Area Board 5 on the State Council on Developmental Dis Disabilities. Maura McDonough from Golden Gate Regional Center. Um, and uh, I just want to say a couple things. Ms. Simon mentioned that point three, I think it was in the, the original Proposition A, calls for increasing diversity. Um, and that requires a lot of action. That requires cultural change. And the, the way that's going to happen is through leadership, which has already been spoken about at every level. Um, we need more education, of course. And this is the kind of the, um, this is the good news. The, the um, silver lining is the partnership aspect, because here in the city, we are surrounded by experts in employment for people with disabilities, and that's across the spectrum of, of disabilities. So physical disabilities, intellectual disabilities, di uh, uh, developmental disabilities. Um, and so one example which Sarah Murphy had mentioned was Alameda County, um, which has a program they call Step Up, and I actually do have a little bit of brief information here for you if you'd like it. Yes, thank you. And, oh, and I wanted to mention too that we had started, oh, I guess about eight months ago, um, working with the Public Utilities Commission, Stephen Curry over there about, thank you, um, about actually creating a paid internship program. We were really excited about it. It hasn't gotten off the ground for, for various understandable reasons, but that's something we're very interested in pursuing. Um, yes, thank you so much, really. We really, really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Ms. McDonough. Next speaker, Mr. Planthold. I'm Bob Planthold. We're all thankful for the publicity that this is getting citywide about hiring people with disabilities. I want to say also we heard you talk earlier of possibly supporting funding for some additional positions that could help with outreach and communication. I want to go beyond that. Separate from a civil service type rule for entry level positions, there's activities the Board of Supervisors itself can do to model the increasing employment of people with disabilities. We heard about culture change for agencies Supervisor Jake McGoldrick, when he was supervisor for District 1, had a charter amendment passed that said when the soups consider appointments for diversity, they must consider various categories of people, including people with disabilities. But how often really do the supervisors reach out and say, we don't have enough people with disabilities in applying to be on the Planning Commission or the Building Inspection Commission or the Police Commission or the Elections Commission? Some years ago, the school board had a chance to appoint a knowledgeable person with a disability to elections and instead went with somebody politically connected. I'm bringing this up. It's not just appointments because those are not employment, but it would help make a culture change in those departments. Even within your own staff, how often do supervisors employ people with disabilities? You often employ people in other constituencies that have been historically discriminated against. Women, people of color, people from the LGBTQ communities, but how many of us get employed? Because it's a stepping stone to office. Sean Ellsburn, John Avalos, Katie Tang, all became supervisors. 
The mayor's chief of staff was a supervisorial aide. The mayor's transportation policy was a supervisorial aide. The point is we are not given opportunities to be made visible to the broader public by lack of that employment. Thank you, Mr. Planthold. Next speaker, and if there's anyone else that I haven't called and you would like to speak, just please come forward now because we're going to close public comment in a moment. Hi, Gabriel Rogan representing the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. The State Council is deeply committed to in increasing employment opportunities for people with disabilities throughout, the Cal throughout California, and we just want to applaud San Francisco for your leadership in this area and for holding this hearing. Um, we understand that there are some political and bureaucratic challenges to implementing this type of program successfully, and I just want to say I hope you consider us a resource. We work closely with other municipalities. For example, I literally just came from a meeting uh, with Alameda and Contra Costa County where they were discussing this exact issue about how to uh, increase positive outcomes, how to share best practices, et cetera. So if we can be a resource to you going forward, please don't hesitate to contact us. And I can say, um, speaking for Alameda County, I don't work for them, but I work closely with them, a lot of what they're doing is consistent with what your advisory panel recommended in between 2006 and 2008, establishing internships, increasing awareness, top-down uh, you know, support of this program. Um, so um, I think your advisory panel was right on track with their recommendations, and if we can help you uh, implement those successfully, please let us know. Thank you, Mr. Rogan, and we will stay in touch. Next speaker. My name is Christina Daniels, and I work at the Lighthouse for the Blind. I was born legally blind, and I did not have my first job until I was 27 years old. Um, when I got that first job, it was a part-time job for 10 hours a week. And because of my attendance and not and being there on time, within six months, they asked me to double my hours. Um, the place that I worked at ended up closing down due to the bad economy, and I was out of work for four years. But eventually, I did find work again at the Lighthouse. And again, you know, I, as the morning receptionist, after three months, I was asked to work on call in the afternoons as a tech trainer, and just recently I was promoted to tech training full-time. And I believe that even though I don't have a lot of experience, my dedication to the job, as we have said in this meeting, disabled people do not call out sick as much, they're on time, they're more loyal. That dedication is the reason I've been so successful within such a short amount of time in my work history. And so thank you for this meeting, and I hope that you guys will consider hiring more people with disabilities, and I am an example of someone. I may not have a lot of work experience, but I have done a darn good job with what I've done. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Daniels. Thank you. I see no other speakers, and let's close public comment. And uh, Supervisor Yee. Um, just wanted to thank all the speakers, uh, including the ones that were listed and, and the ones that uh, from the public. And um, after hearing everybody's um, testimonies, um, I will be um, supporting the recommendations. I in particularly want to be supportive on the, at the fiscal level of um, making sure that there's a in the budget process to include that position. Um, certainly, I would be supportive of reactivating an advisory group. Um, and in particularly, I think it was um, Supervisor Chu's comment, um, um, one of the biggest reasons why I would like to see the advisory group um, 
be put together again is to gather um, or come up with ideas in which um, we could, as a city, legally gather better data around um, people with uh, disabilities and, and aging and who's employed, who's not employed. So um, that's where I would be standing. Once again, thank you. Thank you for the public for for coming today, and thank you, Supervisor Mar, for uh, hosting this hearing. Thank you, Supervisor Yee. And I also wanted to acknowledge, I, I've learned a lot. I think the stories that people have told have just shed tremendous light on the challenges and the ongoing discrimination and how much more the city needs to do um, to ensure equality and diversity as is written into our charter. Um, I think we've heard a lot of good suggestions for follow-up um, with Alameda County and Seattle and some other um, examples. I wanted to say in moving forward, um, I'm going to do my best to convene the stakeholder groups, um, Carla Johnson and the Department of Human Resources folks, but especially the community-based organizations that are such a tremendous resource for our city, and we need to be working together to achieve the, the vision that I think came out of the movement of the 80s that, it, that um, established not only Rule 34 and 115, but also many other um, civil rights changes that we still have a long way to go to achieve. So with that, a um, lot of great suggestions. I'll be convening that, those meetings and hopefully coming forward with um, other suggestions. Looking carefully at the 2008 recommendations from the task force and also with um, Ms. Simon and others reestablishing a current task force that can um, address many of the challenges that um, we've all um, pointed out today. But tremendous, tremendous um, comments from people, and I'm just very, very happy for um, this is a first step to achieving um, better equality and dignity, as Carla Johnson said, for um, um, valuable San Franciscans who are people with disabilities and, and everyone else as well. So with that, Mr. Evans, um, can we, um, let's see, this is a hearing, so can we table this hearing, and without, without objection, can we table this? Okay. And um, is there any other business before us, Mr. Evans? There's no more business, Mr. Okay. Chair. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for coming out. Meeting adjourned.